Campfire. Fireside Chats. This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome, campers, to this week's Fireside Chat. This week, we welcome back an old friend, host of the Tracing Owls podcast, and of course the mastermind behind the infinitely replayable Darwin's Deviations, Vuk. We discuss archetypes, religion, language, the journey of podcasting, the value of fiction, the life-affirming nature of 14 experiences, and we spend a lot of time breaking down our personal experiences building the strange semantics community project from last year. As with every time Vuk comes around, we're talking big ideas today, and we wouldn't have it any other way. So go subscribe to both of his shows. I promise you'll be better for it. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this fireside chat with Vuk. All right, Vuk, welcome back to the show. And thank you for having me. I I think it's like the fourth time or something. (laughs) I believe so. I believe this is your fourth appearance. You're officially, you have the record now. I'm in the Campfire Hall of Fame. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) Oh, are we going to also include Strange Semantics as the fourth appearance? So this is the fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So there, are, there are a couple people who are right behind you. Then, if we're if we're counting strange semantics, also you also have uh, Carly and yes. Aaron Deese and um, Heather Mosier. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they're all at four, and you're now at five. The campfire family, and I'm the strange uncle nobody <laughs> wants to acknowledge. <laughs> oh man, Todd's right there. Todd's getting up there too. I, I think Todd is basically, by this point, the co-host of my own show. <laughs> I've had him <laughs> so many times. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I started to feel like like that was Carly for me in the last couple of months. She was on like twice in two months, and I did the same thing with Heather. I had Heather on, and then a couple of weeks later, we did The Bell Witch, and I just couldn't resist bringing her on to talk about The Bell Witch that Friday. Yeah. Too, yes. So. And uh, funnily enough, I see Heather t- uh, today when we're recording this appears on Asher's show talking yes. about haunted objects. Also, that's a that's a show I'm looking I'm going to be on soon too. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Maybe eventually you appear on Haunted Objects podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, I'd be cool with that. And talking about that, man, so I was planning to do an episode about the Mokela Mabembe uh, in creationist propaganda. Yeah. And uh, it was back and forth, back and forth with this other podcast, Cryptopedia, because they did uh, a two-parter on that and talking about, you know, the creationist stuff and how the Mormon church funded expeditions to hunt the Mokela Mabembe, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And for some... reasons like stress and health concerns I couldn't do it and the next week uh, the the Haunted Objects podcast did you know put put out their whole episode on just that topic and I'm like man it's a good thing that I didn't do that it would be like I'm copying them but also like I I now don't have a reason to do it because somebody already did it perfectly (laughs) did they do a good job on it yes that's awesome yeah, I, I haven't listened to that episode. I mean, they're they're great researchers. Yeah, they're, it's yeah, it's undeniable. Like uh, a lot of people, I think some people not so nicely. They were um, hoping that they believed, or they were hoping that um, Hellier was a a fluke. You know that it just like landed at the right time and took off um but they're i mean they're they're legitimately good researchers and presenters but you know what's funny so i did not watch hellier but you can't be in this uh community without knowing all of it already yeah (laughs) you know every, every everybody keeps bringing up to me hey 
I'm so intrigued by the experiment they did where they induced an alien abduction in a guy who had sure. nothing to do with, you know, that phenomena. Because that's something I talk about a lot and criticism towards hypnosis. Yeah. Um, but what what I've noticed is that Hellier came out right synchronistically in a time when people were ready to kind of move beyond the usual, you know, ETH or ghost hunting, oh, is it a spirit of a dead person and Bigfoot yeah. being flesh and blood and stuff like that. So it's like it's... There was this chain of reactions that brought Hellier to an audience that needed to have their minds opened up to these possibilities outside of the, you know, mainstream norm of the paranormal community. And it contributed to the global weirdening we're seeing now um, in the community itself, which is itself weird, but we are getting even weirder. Yeah. Agreed. It's, I mean, it's like, um, it's like the Beach Boys Pet Sounds album released at the perfect time for it to be embraced by the whole like hippie movement. Like it just, they lined up perfectly. Exactly. And uh, what what I'm intrigued by there is, so there's this moment where you get uh, people talking about Bigfoot in a way like, oh, is it going through portals and stuff like that? Yeah. And you can remember, like you and I were very intrigued by that idea. Yes. But right now, like when I think about it, it's cringy. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cringy. Like when somebody says, oh, Bigfoot literally came through a portal. Right. And the thing is, like, I, I hear other people on podcasts say how cringy it is. But I feel like you're not getting the point or something like that. What I found interesting about that is not that I literally think Bigfoot came out of a portal ever. Mm-hmm. It's that this is a new form of thinking about the phenomenon that can open up doors to many other forms of thought. But it's not something that we should be taking literally. It's just a thought experiment that gets us to a better point where we're thinking more elevated about these things because even portals are a stupid theory. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's, It's baby steps. And it's like... You it's like tulpas your... for for us too. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's and the, you're yeah. you're still interested in tulpas. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing is, I think like these stages are are. There's no set, you know, time. I think, um, and there are a lot of different angles you can, you can, um, sort of like the the spiderweb graphs, right? Like. If you're really into tulpas, there's an infinite number of directions you can go from that. that exactly. You know. Yeah. You know, the, the flesh and blood nuts and bolts approach is very limiting. It limits you to think about these things as if they are uh, constrained within, you know, the confines of physical natural laws. Yeah. And I've brought up this many times. I'm a biologist. And I know cryptids are not biological entities because I know biology. So what are they? That's what intrigues me about this. Like, why is a biology guy talking about Bigfoot and Nessie and other cryptids not as flesh and blood animals? Because I know what flesh and blood animals are. I know the uh, ecological circumstances that are required for species to evolve through millions and millions of years and divergent adapt and fill ecological niches and it just does not line up with these things like yeah. there are 50 different types of Bigfoot all around the world so what is more possible that we have 50 different species of uh, you know hominids that uh, we have no evidence of despite so many species of them all around the world Or that these 50 species or forms are actually archetypal images molded through culture and society and historical context. So you have 50 different forms of them because 50 different cultures are interpreting the same symbol that is ingrained into all of us. Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it so plainly because you hear people say it that 
so many different cultures have their stories about a Bigfoot, right? But they yeah. say it as like, that's proof they're real. But really, <clears throat> it's fucking insane to think that there would be 50 or more separate populations of large hominids that there's no official record of. Yeah. Like that, I've never even thought about it like that. That's the same as saying, oh, every culture in the world has stories of, let's say, serpent deities. So does that mean that serpent deities are actually a physical material thing? Right. Um, and I use that because I did a whole episode about that kind of stuff, uh, especially in South Africa, where we have different types of serpent deities from different tribes. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously... it's an interpretation of an archetype. Yeah. Right? That's when something is that ubiquitous, it it's pretty safe to assume that it's an image or a concept that's been ingrained in human beings since very early on. Exactly. And the archetype is not just, you know, an entity, a, a being, a, a person. It can also be a thing or a concept like we, we see in the Bible the concept of Noah's Ark or the concept of the Great Flood, and we see this in mythologies all around the world, and we see it in UFO mythology as well. You know, people who channel entities and are told, oh, the entities are gathering plants and animals from our planet to save the, their DNA from a cataclysm that's about to happen. Yeah. Or the Carl Higdon abduction has so many... Uh, motifs related to Noah's Ark. Like, he was abducted and brought to their planet where they told him, oh, we are so polluted, we need to take the fish and the deer of Earth to feed ourselves. Um, but we are also, you know, collecting specimens from your planet, and then they uh, did a scan of him and saw he had a vasectomy, and like, no, we're, we're not taking you <laughs> for this <Yeah>. collection. <laughs> uh, damaged goods. Yeah, I love that. Like that, that's a reinterpretation of even biblical stories that repeat over and over. So wh why do we draw the line like, oh, the Bible is the source of all that? Well, I think uh, the source of all that goes back many and many centuries before the Bible. And the Bible is just another repeat of the same pattern. Yeah. I mean, back in the early 2000s, people were putting out like edgy YouTube videos where it was basically teaching people who had only ever known Western religion all of the stories that predate the Bible that the Bible obviously took archetypal characters and concepts from, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yes. That, yeah, it's pretty pretty well known. It's It's a lot of concepts that have you know, they've given they've provided some value for humanity. And that, that's the reason why they have, like, stood the test of time, right? Because they they taught lessons that that were beneficial for, for very early human beings. At least that, that's what, how it makes sense to me. And you know, like, how powerful these archetypes and symbologies are? We have pyramids all around the world erected by uh, civilizations that never communicated with each other. And the closed-minded people would say, oh, it's aliens, because these people never communicated with each other, so surely somebody needed to, you know, descend upon them and teach them how to do this. People don't <laughs> want to think about things, like, coming from the within, it's always sure. the without. It's always the source of everything in, in human history is something out there controlling us or teaching us. But we have all of these tools within ourselves, and we all share the same tools, even if an Akashic record does not exist, just from the mere fact that we are all the same species. So yeah. our brains are hardwired the same way, you know? We all know what a pyramid is because the pyramid is a part of our anatomy and physiology basically sure. of our minds yeah. and I hear so many theories like why did people build the pyramids if it was people like what use did they have of that and I don't know why it's so 
hard for people to understand that maybe the point of the pyramid was reverence to something religious or spiritual. Sure. And that people would invest so much time and resources to create a construct, a construct that expresses their religious or spiritual beliefs. Because if not for religion, like we, we, we would not have civilization now. And I'm an atheist, you know, I should hate yeah. religion. But <laughs> that, that's just, just the fact. We would not have the world today if not for religious spiritual beliefs. It's a very powerful force yeah. that uh, inspires people to create. And we are the creators of this world. I like to think of you as an enlightened atheist. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you uh, may not believe it, but you understand the value of it, right? Uh, I believe in the effects of religion. So yeah. if it has an effect on people... Is it real or is it not? I, I think it is very real. So yeah. I bring up uh, oftentimes on podcasts, like if somebody sees a flock of geese and has uh, a UFO experience, they think it's a UFO, but it's stupid geese in the sky. And this changes their life. You know, it transforms them into somebody who is uh, more uh, ecologically aware and they start gardening or something, which we see a lot with UFO witnesses and alien abductees. Yeah. That is a genuine UFO experience, even if it's not a genuine UFO. Yeah. So who gives a fuck if yep. the UFO is aliens or just stupid geese in the sky? What what should matter is the effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I and I know we've discussed this in the past, but and you know, I love to compare experiences with psychedelics, but. I, you know, I've been telling people forever, you know, I, I had, I've had friends whose lives have been altered in beautiful ways and permanently, seemingly permanent changes to their life based on their experience with psychedelic drugs. And the, so many people are like, but that isn't real. What you're seeing isn't real. It's just a projection in your mind and it's a hallucination and I mean, that's real. It's real. I mean, that's no different than actually being blasted to the center of the universe and having conversations with universal entities. It doesn't matter if that happens in your mind or if it's, you know, you can be charted by radar as you fly away. <laughs> it's the effect that it has on your life is what makes it real. Yeah, but, like, wh why do then people accept the... Um strong effect of fiction on their lives like right. oftentimes you'd hear oh i read this book and it changed my life but you know it's fiction it's, you know that somebody made it up you know that it's not real yep. yet you accept it because from the get-go it is uh, set in the boundary oh this is not real and consume it that way sure and i like the paranormal because it, it kind of is in the middle ground between fiction and reality yeah <laughs> It's all about the effect of the fiction on your reality. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, if I like if that. we are in, in that kind of suggestive state as we are with these paranormal experiences and we are experiencing something that may be fiction, but we do not perceive it as such, it may have a stronger effect on us. And this, then this leads to a chain reaction where we change, we inspire other people to change, and society changes as a whole. Yeah. I mean, the same people who, who will, you know, talk down a psychedelic experience or actually seeing geese instead of a, a real UFO will talk about how amazing and effective the placebo effect is. <laughs> exactly. Right? So I, and, I was recently on uh, Esoteric Book Club interviewed for that show, and we talked just about that. Uh, he did an episode about uh, Silent Invasion from Stan Gordon. And in that book, it said, like, there were in Pennsylvania in 73 these... Uh, UFO cases where they were able to identify what the UFO was. You know, it was a plane that was flying at that time. So they omitted those cases from the reports in the book. 
But I yeah. was like, why are we omitting them? Like, even if somebody saw a plane but had a UFO experience, we should study the UFO experience. Maybe yeah. we should see what the commonalities and differences are between a genuine and a placebo UFO experience. Though sure. I think everything is a placebo in some way. Yeah. Because yeah. we co-create whatever we see. We co-create the phenomenon. I do believe, like, say... If somebody sees a bear in the woods, in certain circumstances, uh, and hunting is a very boring task, just as, you know, driving when people see UFOs, it's like when we do these passive actions, we bring ourselves into a suggestive hypnotic state where we yes. can more easily project our own symbologies upon the world around us. So if somebody yeah. sees a bear in the woods and bears can walk bipedally or somebody sees a man in a ghillie suit or somebody sees an actual cryptid that is the source of the bigfoot legend but not technically a bigfoot sure we project upon these things the bigfoot from within us and yeah. you you heard there i said maybe there is a cryptid but it is not bigfoot because bigfoot is what we are projecting upon the cryptid but the cryptid, if you hunt it down and scientifically document it, you'll be surprised how different it is than the folklore we have created around it. Yeah, I mean, that, that totally makes sense. Because it's, it's mixed, right? Say there is an actual flesh and blood cryptid out there that has acted as the basis for this Bigfoot projection, right? There's no way that it could just be that, right? Because... The idea of Bigfoot is intermingled with with what would have to be hundreds, if not thousands, of stories that wouldn't have been actual physical experiences with that thing. Right? Yeah. So it's become this amalgam of, I'll say, actual experiences with whatever this cryptid is and our idea of what an experience with that cryptid might be like. And also the set and the setting, which you usually hear is very important for use of psychedelics. Yeah. But it's very important in the paranormal. Dude, like we're, we're totally deviating from our planned yeah. <laughs> topics, but this is interesting. So I talked with a friend who had a Bigfoot experience and he does not think it's totally, you know, a solid physical thing that he saw. That it's more also spiritual. Okay. But he grew up in West Virginia, lived in West Virginia, and during the time when he saw this Bigfoot, he was in the most stressful, um, depressive state in his life, and uh, West Virginia was going through an economic depression. And lo and behold, he sees Bigfoot. And I can't help but think, like when you analyze these stories of wild men, the wild man archetype has always been kind of a symbol of um, ridding yourself of the contemporary society you're living in now and going out into the wild rogue free yeah. from the constraints of, you know, social norms. And like if you're living in an impoverished state like West Virginia during an economic collapse and going through, through you know, the, the turmoils of that, yeah. it is no wonder that your mind will want to seek out the symbol that shows you hey what if i just leave this capitalistic system behind yep <laughs> what if i get naked and grow hair and, and a beard and just go into the wild where i'm free from the artificial uh system that i need to work for my whole life and then die miserably yeah it's because they, they've always been a symbol of this like righteous poverty right you're choosing it right the the idea of a wild man is that they've shed the skin of society right like they've they've made the choice to step away so i could definitely see romanticizing that concept in a situation like that yes and i mean obviously people in rural settings see bigfoot most often forest and stuff like that but also yeah. you have to think of what is the cultural and sociological context of a rural setting and how these people live differently than somebody in an urban setting and what troubles they go through in life yeah it's a very different set of circumstances 
It creates very, it seems to create very different manifestations of the phenomenon. Mm hmm. Yeah. No, okay, man. So, so let's go to the main topic. Uh, for the listeners, ah. Jordan and myself had the idea. Let's talk about words as yeah. if we did not have that idea already. <laughs> um, but I shared with Jordan, like my podcasting journey through Tracing Owls. Everybody knows me as the Gaia guy now. <laughs> Even yesterday, yeah. somebody commented on a post, told me, hey, I heard you on Campfire talking about the Gaia theory. This, that's so interesting. Like people that's are awesome. still listening to that and it resonates with them but um the, i'm not a one-trick pony that's not all i have that's not all i'm interested in uh, the yeah. gaia theory is just one way of thinking outside the box it's not the be all end all you know of yeah. hey everything is a message from the planet to save the planet <laughs> it's more like i want to say like if you're theory about the paranormal and oftentimes conspiracy theories does not you know, uh, mesh well with the Gaia hypothesis, which is, you know, that everything on Earth has has a consciousness, even bacteria, and that yeah. we're all part of an ecosystem. If your conspiracy theory goes by anthropocentrism, that everything is humans and that humans are the center of the world and, you know, flat Earth and shit like that, then maybe your, your theory is very bad. <laughs> because God, it dismisses boring. it dismisses all other life on earth that's why i talk about the guy hypothesis because if we talk about these things we should be aware that we are not the be all and all of life life yeah. does its thing nature does its thing we are living within an imaginary fantasy bubble of human society that is on top of a giant ecosystem yeah. And we should be aware of that if we're talking about, you know, theories and what reality is or not. But the basis of the bubble we are living in is language. And I've noticed through my podcasting journey that the paranormal, this, and this is what I believe, is a form of language that we use. Like, you know how people who are nerds and geeks talk about everything in life through their love of media yeah you can have scientists talk about the world through you know rational materialism you can have religious folks talk about the world through their faith these are all forms of language that we use and the paranormal is just one other form of language we can use to express ourselves uh, a one more closely tied to mythology and folklore and Mythology, we all know Greek mythology always has been uh, the uh, reflection of society, the Jungian shadow of things about us that we do not want to acknowledge. And the paranormal is kind of like that. It allows us to indirectly talk about things we don't want to acknowledge about ourselves through these middlemen. All of these aliens and Bigfoots and Nessies, they are like puppets that we use to express ourselves. Yeah, I, I... I... Man. To me, that's like... It's an incredibly romantic view of it. Does that... Does that track with how you look at it, too? Does it feel that way to you? It is. It is very romantic, like... I'm an atheist. I should hate this stuff. Right, but it's like living poetry. Yes, and you know? the, the, the problem I have with skeptics, and I'm a skeptic, kind of... Mm -hmm sort of i don't know but skeptical like, at least but skeptics just want to say no it's a flock of geese in the sky and that's that nothing to see here and i'm like wow that's a wonderful thing these stupid geese doing their normal you know natural thing have transcended their biological existence to form a ufo narrative within the mind of a person who then uses that with with the tools within themselves to transform themselves into a better person. And oftentimes people who have these experiences turn out better. At first it's scary to them. Uh, they're uh, questioning the fabric of reality and who they are, but eventually they grow into a much better person and much more yeah. mindful. Man, that's, that's beautiful. I like, man, I love that idea. I love it. Just the, the idea that, the, that both ends of the spectrum are missing something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, 
And it's so Whether frustrating. You're a, it, is, it is. It's very frustrating, but it's it's also kind of beautiful that like the answer is in the the compromise space between them, you know? Yes, and, but I mean the 14 and the paranormal is the compromise space between yeah. uh, fiction and reality. Right. Between it's, the within and the without. Uh, between yeah. uh, dream and awake. Um, I mean, when, when we talked about the jackalope, that, that's just a dumb little hoax scripted, but we went into so many avenues of this duality that it conveys. Yeah. All, all from this one little critter. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's, that's why it's, it feels like such a beautiful idea to me is because that's, of course, the truth about the paranormal would be right in the middle. It would be right on the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it just, it's perfect. It works. It's, it's perfect for it. Just like, cause if you're like a true blue believer, if you really, if you really believe that nuts and bolts crafts are in the sky and flesh and blood Bigfoots are, you know, have a measurable population density, you're, you're missing the, the cultural implications of what's happening, of all these experiences and what it says about these individuals and the cultures they exist in. But you see, there's a huge dilemma there that I've noticed uh, by interviewing so many people, believers and skeptics alike. And you've noticed this as well. Like, you start thinking of yourself as, oh, I'm the person who's thinking outside of the box and I'm looking at this from an elevated level. <laughs> the hubris you you yeah. and I have in this. Sure. But, and then we look down upon these people who are like true believers and stuck in this headspace that they cannot get out of this invisible cage around themselves. But then again, if people did not believe so intensely in these things uh, uh, that we don't agree with. Maybe we think they should be more open-minded, but if they were more open-minded and if everybody looked at this the way we do, we we would not have this phenomenon to even analyze. We need people to believe in this stuff so they can inadvertently tell us a lot about culture and society through their belief. See, I I should... I should clarify that when I say, of course, the the truth about the paranormal is in the middle. I mean that to express why I think that concept is beautiful to me, right? Like, because obviously I don't know what the truth of the paranormal is. It's just an idea of what it could be, right? What it really could all mean. And that, yeah, that that's why I think that theory is is beautiful, because I think it it follows suit with everything else I know about the paranormal. Yes, man. And uh, the first time we kind of delved into this was when we did Strange Semantics. Yes. And I wanted for so long to just sit down with you and have a discussion about that, like how that impacted us and our community and the people we had on as well. So, you know, for the listeners... You're probably aware of Strange Semantics. It was a huge project Jordan and I uh, did, and you, you posted it twice on your show. Yes. And yep. I, I woke up one day thinking about how you and I constantly debate whether to use the word paranormal or Fortean. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, the words we use are reflections of ourselves. We choose the words that we use because our intrinsic feelings and understandings of this phenomena kind of uh, 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 let us choose what is the best representation of what we want to express our, our feelings about these things. The way yeah. we talk is our way of obviously expressing our intrinsic feelings that are so complex and more complicated than words. Yeah, it's, so, it's the best we can do. Yes, so I thought, hey, let's ask people if they'd be willing to send us clips uh, of what word they use and the reasoning why. And I yeah. asked a few people, and they're all on board, and I'm, like, coming to you crying, dude, you need to help me, because a lot of people are interested in this, and I have a small, shitty podcast, and I just don't have the, the production capabilities to go on with this. <laughs> Man, it... it- 
it blew up. Yes. It um it started out a pretty small thing and then I know you came you came to me like you just said and you were like this is too big. Like we we I I'm going to need some help with this. And then and then I made it even bigger because then I went and invited a bunch of people. Yes. <laughs> and then so we both and all the people I invited seemed to really be interested. So we ended up with a lot more than we expected. Oh, yeah. And you even got that like was a 20 minutes ending uh, from Beliefhole. Yes. Yeah. Which I yeah, I really enjoyed that. I think they, they did a really good job with it. And you know what's the best thing about that project when I listen to it? The fuck-ups. The people who did not understand the question. I'm yeah. like, wow. Uh, various different interpretations of the prompt we sent. And that adds so much layers onto this. Yeah. Like Carly, for example. She did not express whether she uses Paranormal or Fortean because that's not from her realm. Yeah. But rather, she talks about whether she sees herself as a medium or a psychic. Yeah. Which is and fantastic. I, I found that fantastic, yeah. And yeah. Heather also did not go into the debate of paranormal versus 14, but rather various different phenomena and what words is used. Let's say, is it Bigfoot or Sasquatch? Is it mm-hmm. Orb or Spooklight? Yeah. Yeah, and we had um, we had people talking about whether they like the term ghost hunter or paranormal investigator. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were lots of little, lots of very personal takes on the prompt, which I really enjoyed. And, you know, we did not have to add anything to the prompt to kind of push diversity. No. But it, it unfolded on its own just by providing the same prompt to people and have them reinterpret it in their own way. And mess it up, which is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because when someone who is, you know, in abandoned houses looking for ghosts every weekend reads, what language do you use when talking about the paranormal? They're they're thinking, like, what do I use? Like, this is yeah. my world, right? And that's different from someone who's who spends their time interviewing people who have Bigfoot experiences. Right, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I got a lot out of out of that project. I mean, to be honest, man, we we got a lot of guests out of that project. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I I had almost everybody who was on there as a guest eventually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, quite a few that, myself. That, okay, so I wanted to go there. Like everybody knows how I am very against you know marketing and production and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but like I knew when I came to you that this is also an opportunity for both of us to network or expand, yeah. but not in the disingenuous way. Like we are providing something that is very important to talk about and a way for people to share and express themselves. And we even invited everybody. You know, we didn't focus on just believers or just skeptics no. or just academic people, you know. We had everybody, some of some people who don't necessarily even like each other, you know, from different yeah. ends of the, the That's community. True. And that that was fantastic. And I knew that it would open doors for us to kind of just just have that first uh, point of conversation with somebody. Let's say Karen Stolls, no, from Monster sure. Talk. That project allowed me to just get get into more conversations with her. And I eventually had her and Blake Smith on my show. I feel like the and a really important thing you said was it wasn't networking in a disingenuous way. Yeah. And I think that's because what that initial project that we brought them in for was something that we really did care about. Right. It was. And I feel like we we conveyed that to them really well through the prompt and through communications that we had during the process and all that, I think it, and in the way the the finished product turned out, I think it, we made it very clear that this was something we actually cared about and something we were interested in exploring. I know it, it laid the foundation for me to have a relationship with Joshua Cutchin. Yes. Who's one of my favorite writers, you know, and that's, 
I'll forever be grateful for that. Because that was, yeah, I had him on. We had him on the show to talk about um, Ecology of Souls. And he's coming back next month to be on the show again. Like, it's, but beyond him, like, people like Luke Greensmith and... um, And him, and him, he was one of the last ones I asked. And... I know he's very not into the paranormal. Yeah. And I know he has a lot to say about the use of the F word. I did a whole episode with him and Morgan <laughs> Daimler. W- when we're talking yeah. about words, that that was such a cool idea I had. Like, fairy, the word fairy, is a euphemism. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 sorry, it's not a euphemism, but we use euphemisms to not say the word fairy. Yes. So, yes. you know, we say the good folk, the, the Seely Whites or whatever. And the good neighbors. I, I, thought, I thought maybe I should have them both on because I know they have very strong opinions of why we shouldn't use the F word. So I titled yeah. the episode the other F word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. But yeah, I, I ended up having like Chris Cogswell on the show and uh, mm-hmm. Fred Anderson. Um, people who, who released have... a book recently. Yes, he did. Yeah. For the listeners, go check out Fred Anderson's new book, uh, Northern Lights, High Strangeness in Sweden, from Beyond the Free Publishing. Yeah, it's... But those have become friendships that are, you know, they really, like, mean something to me now. Exactly. You know? So, yeah, I mean, things that I, I can't be thankful for enough. And th- there's another layer to that, that man. So it, we're talking about uh, friendships that we have directly formed with these people. But something I've been doing with my podcast the last year, and you have as well, kind of weaving a community around yourself. It's not just about who you connect with, but people who you can connect with each other. And a lot of people who I think... I think a lot of people who start podcasts or they start YouTube channels or whatever it is they do, it's kind of become a, a stereotypical line. Like we're building a community, right? That's like yeah. one of those t-shirts or cat posters that people use to try to try to, you know, feign an actual interest in your audience. But we really have done that. Like we really have built communities and I, I think <clears throat> I'm really interested in or I'm really fascinated by the the overlap in the communities. Like you have you have a group of people, but each of those people in your group have a group. You know, and they they're not all the same people. Yeah. So there's kind of this and if you get really good at it, you can sort of navigate through these groups and make genuine connections with new people. And it just sort of continues to build on to your community. So something I wanted to talk with Todd about a lot, but like it's always back and forth, whether we should do an episode on it or not. We, we have had a lot of synchronicities happen between our shows and, you know, a lot of synchronicities with the guests and then we send off guests down their own paths and then they end up having synchronicities and connecting with other people and so on and so on. We're weaving a whole network of people and not necessarily getting any recognition for it. So a lot, a big thing about my podcast is not the podcast itself, it's what I do in the shadows and I see reflections of my show pop up everywhere all around the place and I even don't know how that happened it's just I I inspire a person the person goes off on their journey Uh, I inspire somebody else uh, I inspire them to communicate with each other they end up doing something amazing without me and I see just things pop up in our community that I wanted to see for a very long time, but I can't personally uh, take up the burden of making all that happen. It's sure. like chaos magic. You're just creating these these uh, butterfly effects that manifest a community that you want and intend for, but you don't have direct influence over it. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's, I mean, you, I mean, you've done that for me. Um, even outside of Strange Semantics, you, you know, introduced me to Jeremy Vaney and we went on to have one of the best podcast yes. interviews I've ever done. Yeah. Like, hands down, one of the best I've ever had. And, yeah, it's, and again, that's another friendship that I've made that has been lovely. And, and you know what's what's beautiful there? So I had Jeremy Vaney for almost three hours on my show. And it is in the style of me, you know, and both yeah. of us are kind of trickstery guys. And we yeah. end up just poking at each other for three hours. <laughs> yeah, that's the way I can do things with him. Um, and we've been off and on, <laughs> me and Jeremy Vaney and our friendship r- sure. regarding that because we're sometimes not in the mood to poke at each other. Yeah. But then, uh, then we manifest the circumstances where he can be on your show and have a totally different discussion with you. Something that I cannot personally make, but I want it to exist. Yeah. And that's that's what what's beautiful about this. We are. We are taking ourselves and our egos out of this stuff. And we, we are aware that we, as one person, one host, cannot do everything that we want to see manifested in this community. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we inadvertently, indirectly create the circumstances where such things can be made possible. And, and like, be- because of you and me, people are now talking about Bigfoot as, you know, an archetype or... Uh, UFOs as an artistic expression of the universe, especially yeah. from Todd as well. Yeah, of course. Um, if if it is not for us talking about these things and kind of not just uh, putting the seed in people's heads, but also encouraging them that it is okay to think about UFOs or Bigfoot in this way, yeah. and they're hearing a podcast that they revere, uh, saying that it's perfectly okay to think this way. We are encouraging the community to kind of expand its horizons. Yeah, and I think, you know, if I podcast for 20 years and that's the legacy at the end, I'll, I'll be happy with that. And and the basis of all that is language and words. Yeah. <laughs> it's all we're doing. We're just sitting down and, and sharing words. Words that both of us require uh, certain tools and and uh, contexts within our minds to even express and even understand. I like yeah. talking about, let's say, you have a book. Everybody thinks of a book as, you know, a source of knowledge. But is it really? Like, if you don't have the person who has the tools and capabilities and contexts to interpret the symbology in the book, the words, into thoughts and concepts, it's just a stupid pile of paper. You put it in in the forest, it will rot away. Yeah. The the nature does not care about the stupid book and its information. We are the ones who care, and that is something I find very magical. That there is something metaphysical outside of the realm of physical reality that shapes our civilization. However much materialistic skeptics want to say that everything is matter how can you you know within the confines of physical materialism uh, how can you define what language is then how can you prove language exists right it's tell me if this makes sense so the way we measure black holes is by measuring their effect on the things around them Mm-hmm. So how is a black hole any more real than language? Yes. Right? But but it's because we, we can measure the effects of the black hole using right. our own self-imposed systems of rules. Sure. People, uh, people mistake what science is. They don't understand science is a, t- is a tool. Science yeah. is our way of interfacing with the natural reality around us. It's not reality itself. It is right. 
a language that we use to define reality around ourselves in a very practical way so we can exploit it. We can we seek the truths which may be exploited. But there are so yeah. many truths which we cannot exploit and which are outside of the confines of, you know, uh, scientific methodology. Yeah. I mean, science is just how we keep track of nature. Yes. Right? It's just that's how we make sense of it. Yeah. I mean, That's a lot, Vuk. <laughs> I just wanted to <laughs> add something when we talked about Fred Anderson. Uh-huh. When I interviewed him for the first time to talk about, you know, strange things in Sweden. And, you know, he's a TV producer of a ghost hunting show over there. And yeah. they go film uh, these uh, haunted locations and talk with the people about ghosts. As yeah. soon as the cameras turn off, these people then start talking about high strangeness more and more. And he told me, like... They're open to talk about ghosts. Uh, talking go- about ghosts is kind of testing the waters. And once they see that it's okay to talk about ghosts, then they get to the meat of the stuff, the real high strangeness stuff like gnomes and vampires and trolls and uh, yeah. lights in the sky. That good and, stuff. <laughs> and they, they can care less about the stupid ghosts. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but the ghost is kind of the way of testing the waters. Uh, it is a linguistic tool that people mm-hmm. use to uh, verify if it is safe to proceed with all of this other strange stuff. Yeah. And something that's been very impactful for me, my journey and my show, is uh, researching into the phenomenon of the Popobawa. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I'm obsessed with and everybody thinks, why is this dude obsessed with a male raping demon in Africa? It's because on this island of Pemba, on a small scale, you have something unfolding that is a reflection of the global use of paranormal. So it's a small scale example of everything we see in the paranormal. This sleep paralysis entity that maybe started off as such. Being reinterpreted in various different ways by various different people to bypass the societal taboos of their culture. So let's say being gay is illegal there. Gay men will talk about the Popobawa being visited by it, make jokes about it, to test the waters the same way as, you know, ghosts are used in Fred's case with these witnesses. Um, some people, let's say, a man would uh, would cheat on his wife. And then they'd go to these kind of meetings, which are kind of like AA meetings of people who are possessed by entities, to say, oh, this entity made me do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, a woman who had a sexual encounter with a ghost that she maybe ha- enjoyed talked about being violently visited by the Popobawa against her will because... In a Muslim country, women do not have uh, very many sexual liberties, and expressing things in such a direct way is taboo. So to break that taboo, you'd say, oh, I was visited by this entity that everybody already knows is, you know, a violent rapist. Sure. Um, To indirectly open discussion about something else that you want to express. And I found, found it so fascinating how this figure, this urban legend that is very new kind of assumes many different roles for many different people and then that brings me to the mindset of maybe all monsters are memes and cultural uh, linguistic tools that we use to express ourselves in various different ways and you are now very aware of that by covering the Chupacabra last week absolutely yeah that's what I was just going to bring up because that's, I mean, that, that has to be right there with the Popobawa, right? With mm-hmm. how, I'll say how obvious it is that it is a linguistic tool for an expression of, of social issues. Exactly. Right? I mean, even the term, a radio DJ created yeah. the term as a joke. Yeah. He intended it to be a joke, but maybe because it is a joke, it allowed people to more safely joke about it and talk about it like whenever a farmer would have livestock deaths he'd joke maybe oh the chupacabra yeah 
And some people would get the joke, some people would take it seriously. Um, UFO investigators. <laughs> yeah. And then, as you said, like some other farmer would kill his livestock, maybe, and then say, oh, the chupacabra again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one of my favorite things that I stumbled upon when I was researching for that episode was a quote by uh, just a local police deputy in Mexico where he said to a newspaper, he said, I don't know about the rest of Mexico or the rest of the world, but around here, the goat suckers are just dogs. Yes. It's just so plainly put. It's, even the way how he chose to say it in English, right? Like the quote, the direct quote was, he said goat suckers instead of chupacabras, right? Yeah. Like, I even that is sort of a distance he's putting between the actual concept and what he's dealing with on his shift at work that day. You know what I mean? That is very interesting. Yeah, it's I think he it was even maybe a subconscious recognition that that those that they weren't the same thing. Yes. Yeah. That, that's very and all of this like dude what we talk about we are talking about people talking about experiences we, you read a book you're not reading what actually happened nobody right. will ever know what actually happened you're reading about somebody's interpretation of what happened you're reading uh, their use of their own linguistic tools to express something weird that happened to them yep. that's something I I learned by interviewing Dr. Thompson, who wrote the book about the Popobawa. They are a full, you know, skeptic, and they're an academic. They're a university professor. Right. And they pointed out to me, we are talk we are studying language. We are studying what people say happened, but not necessarily what happened. Yeah. And, and I even- find that beautiful. It it opens up so many avenues and interpretations. Even even more so, it's not only is it that we're looking at their interpretation of what happened, but when someone writes a book, you're also dealing with the version of their interpretation that they feel is yes. the best to project. Here, here's right? a cool example and controversial one that, that's even being brought up now on Where Did the Road Go for some reason. But Jeremy Vaney interviewed Deborah Cobble, who was the subject of... Bud Hopkins' book, Intruders. Hmm. And Bud Hopkins, in his book, talked about uh, her being visited by aliens and being shown her hybrid baby and stuff like that. But Deborah, after Intruders, has always been saying, no, this is a dream I had. And I told Bud it's a dream. Yeah. So you're, you're reading Bud's reinterpretation of her expressing what she dreamed about, but his interpretation is, oh, this is actually real. This is sure. a screen memory by the greys. And you're not reading... This is why I love how, nowadays, we don't need researchers. We have witnesses have the means of openly expressing themselves directly without middlemen. Yeah. You have uh, people on your show who talk openly about their paranormal experience, and you're you don't have to reinterpret them. You d- you yeah. don't have to be their advocate. Um, we are when reading Bud Hopkins' book, not reading about the experience of the witnesses he's writing about, but we are reading about him. Yes, and a lot about the experiences of the others that he reinterprets tells us more about him himself. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Any time, and I, I've come to realize that this after covering a couple of of cases that were that he was some in some way involved with. Um, Any time you you are getting into those stories, you're learning about Bud Hopkins. Like anything that comes from him, he's telling you about himself. I have heard somewhere, and maybe this is wrong, but like that he had a very traumatic childhood because he had some uh, health issues that required him to go into those water tank uh, uh, therapies. Yeah. 
And, yeah, I, I heard that too. Yeah, and you, you can't help but notice uh, the, this obsession with these painful surgeries that aliens mm. do on people. It's tied yeah. to his childhood traumas. And confinement in tight spaces. Yes. You see that over and over and over again. There's this story in uh, Missing Time where a woman... There's this whole story of her being abducted at eight years old and talking with this grandpa-like figure alien about the animals and plants on their planet while he's doing surgeries on her. And then later when she's 12 years old, she's abducted again and the aliens hold a party for her where she's now talking to the daughter or granddaughter of that alien from before who is congratulating her on helping them achieve some kind of scientific, uh, you know, award or something. Yeah. And they're holding a party for her. And then Bud is like, oh, but they asked her for a sample from her nostril and they're doing these surgeries, blah, blah, blah. And this uh-huh. a party is a screen memory. I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> this man. woman had a positive experience. She's sharing it. And then you yeah. have to say, oh, no, that's not real. But right. what I say is real. <laughs> You have to inject your trauma into her story. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, you know, when I read those, those accounts, I just think like, why can't I have dreams that cool? (laughs) You know what I mean? This it's, it's amazing how, how rich some people's dream lives are. Um, well, Vuk, I really, I have to wrap up. No problem. Um, this has been fantastic, as always. It's been way too long. I I feel like every time we sit down and talk, it just, like, rolls out. I feel like we've been on for ten minutes. Yes. And it's been over an hour. And every time it's more elaborate and intricate, the more we yeah. grow. Because you and I have the opportunity to kind of openly... We know who we are. I yes. know who you are, you know who I am. And we know that we can go into these topics when talking with each other. Yeah, we have a shorthand. Yeah, we we don't we don't need all the all the uh, feeling around to make sure this is okay or that's okay. Again, linguistic memes and tools to test out yeah. the waters. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I, I just want to say for the end, like I was gonna have a Jewish monster hunter on the show to talk about golems and other okay. uh, you know Jewish folklores, and I found it so fascinating how he was telling me how language is the basis of all reality for their beliefs. Like, even in the golem mythology, the golem is brought to life by inscribing a word onto it. I think it's emet. And then you kill it by uh, uh, using that for uh, erasing that first letter, and it becomes met, which means death. Yes. And it's so fascinating just how the golem myth shows us how language is the basis of creating and destroying life and maybe if you put it in the paranormal it's the basis of us uh, bringing all of these monsters and phenomena into life and into our reality just through words i think that's a great note to end on yes (laughs) yeah okay before we go tell the people where to find you where to follow you and anything i know you're going on hiatus yes (laughs) right so not a ton to look forward to, I guess, right now. But um, are you still going to be like keeping up the Instagram page or anything like that? Oh, yes. I, I'm, I'm, as I said, like I am in this community. I work from the sidelines and from the backstage. So I have a podcast, Tracing Owls, where if you are interested in anything that we discussed today, listen to the backlog. I create stuff that is timeless i i want it to be timeless in 10 years you can listen to it um yeah so even though i'm on hiatus listen to my backlog it is a document of a spiritual exchange between two people and i think that's very valid even if it's not current um i'm still on instagram tracing owls and contact me if you want and i i am guesting on some shows of my friends I'm spreading the word, even if I'm not doing it via my show. As we see. (laughs) Awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this. No problem. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. 
We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown. unknown.